It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. That's right. The unfiltered straight talk. That's what we give you on the Last Stand Podcast. I am your host, Brian Custer. And, well, our guest today, the best fighter, female fighter in the world. She is a three-division world champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist. In fact, the only American boxer, male or female, to win two Olympic gold medals, the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, the unified super welterweight champion of the world. She calls herself the quote, the greatest woman of all time. She is Clarissa T-Rex Shields. Clarissa, welcome to the Last Damn Podcast. Thank you for having me, Brian. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? How are you? How have you been during this pandemic? Um, I've been okay. You know, at first it's kind of hard being stuck at home and not being able to do nothing, but I was able to move into my new house. I just purchased a home, a nice three-bedroom home, nice field basement. I got a gym in the basement. So I really just spending time with my family, spending time in the basement training. And now I'm back, you know, going hard, getting ready for my upcoming fight. And that's interesting because what is it like as a champion, as a fighter, when gyms are closed down, how do you stay ready? Um, I'm always, like, self-motivated. So I kind of do my thing, you know. Like, I go run on my own. I can punch the bag and know how many rounds I do it when I'm at training camp. Um, I know, like, for me, it's, it's about time. So I know what's my fastest mile, what's my slowest mile where I need to pick it up at and, you know, let go on as far as in running. And then just knowing how to eat right. So it's not really much different for me. And I train by myself all the time. Like, it's always me, my coach, and my, and my boyfriend at the gym. I don't have, like, a big entourage. Whenever I train, it's always just me, my boyfriend, and my coach. So um, only thing I was missing this time was my coach because he was still in Florida. How, how has it been for you uh, as a woman and, and as a woman of color during all of this social unrest that's been going on across our country? Well, you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, I'm definitely rocking with that. And, uh, and I understand what it stands for about the police brutality. And um, I've been to a few protests. And I just try to remind everybody just about, you know, voting and not only pay attention to the police brutality, but the black on black crime. You know, police brutality, black on black crime are both the same deal to me. One isn't more important than the other. And I've just been going around speaking that message and telling everybody that we need to come together in our communities to really make change and also bringing up the water crisis during this, uh, during this time. So that doesn't get swept under the rug because Black Lives Matter, not just when it's police brutality, but when it comes to African-Americans a neighborhood being without water, being without clean water, as Flint has been without clean water for almost six years now. So I just try to speak about all those things and keeping it in a light and just like taking advantage of this time. This is a powerful time to be an African-American right now. Not only has the whole United States had protests, but also 18 other countries. So um, this is a time right now to take action and not just, you know, keep protesting, but actually make those protests be action. So I'm, Happy to be a part of it. Well, you know, and I and I read that you were out one time, and as you were out, you saw a protest going on, and you literally, I saw, I read that you pulled over 
and joined the protest and had, had the megaphone and everything. So I'll talk to me about that day. Um, you know, a lot of the protests, they don't really make like big announcements about it because they're kind of like scared that rioters will show up and kind of mess up the whole thing. So it's kind of like word of mouth and who you know. And at that time, I, I knew people that went to protest, but nobody was hitting me up, letting me know. So when I was driving, um, I was actually with a friend and I was like, they were going to protest and he going to pull over. I was like, yeah. So he pulled over and I wasn't expecting to speak. I was in my, you know, Daisy Dukes in my half shirt. Definitely not a protest worthy <laughs> speaking with the microphone, but um, people in my city see me as a leader, which I am. So when they gave me the mic, I already knew what was on my heart to say. And I always just speak from the heart and that's what I did. And uh, it was very moving and it just felt powerful just to, you know, just to say, you know, no justice, no peace. You know, it's like, really, it's like no justice, no peace. You know, we've been peaceful for a very long time. Martin Luther King was nothing but peaceful and he still was gunned down and murdered. So it was like, we've been peaceful enough. Like we want to, we're going to protest. You're going to hear us. You guys are going to take action and action. This is not how we feel. And it just felt powerful to just not be sitting at home on my couch watching everybody else, you know, protest and speak about it. And I'm such a leader to just be at home sitting, at, sitting on the couch. So I felt great to just go there and be a part of it. You've never, you've never been shy about speaking your mind. Do you think in light of what happened uh, with the death of George Floyd and uh, Mr. Brooks in Atlanta that more athletes of color will feel more comfortable using their platform speaking out? I feel like athletes have always been willing to use their platforms. I mean, if we go back to even Colin Kaepernick taking the knee for police brutality before all this happened. And I know that the NFL may be on board now, but he literally has been blackballed and suspended from the NFL. And they started finding players who, who kneel with him. So, and also basketball players like like they'll speak, but they wouldn't really speak speak on it much. But now you see NBA players like LeBron, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving, those guys speaking on it. When at first they were kind of shy to it because the NBA, oh, we're gonna, you know, I don't think the NBA ever said that they would um, find the men, but I know that the women for sure got fined for wearing black shirts because they were taking a stand for. Black Lives Matter and against police brutality. And the whole team got um, fined on the WNBA. But speaking on that, women already don't get paid equally when it comes to NBA and WNBA. And yet they still took a stand and took the penalties of being fined just to let the world know that we are going to stand up for African-Americans against police brutality, you know, and equal rights. So I think now with all 50 states, 51 states, however many it is, in all 18 countries um, that stood with us. Now it makes it easier for athletes to speak about it because they won't get penalized because the whole world will know if the organizations do that. And when the world is paying attention, people kind of change how they talk about certain things because I don't think that Colin Kaepernick or any of the NFL players should have ever been fined for taking a knee against police brutality Mm. Uh, you, you talked about it in the water situation in Flint. You've been very adamant on changing uh, that 
making sure that you have clean water there in your hometown. Can you give us an update, a status on on the water situation there in Flint, Michigan? Uh, I really wish I had the answers, but I don't. You know, um, I speak with the mayor and ask him. I know I was really close with the mayor before Sheldon Neely, in which was Karen Weaver, and she would have him, you know, a block at a time get the uh, get the pipes fixed in uh, in houses. I don't know what has happened since she has left the office, but I know that Flint uh, residents still don't have clean water, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know exactly what they're what they're doing about it. If they're just oh, like if they're okay with just saying, oh, we have water filters, kind of deal with it, or if they're still going to take a stand and start fixing all the pipes as they promised six years ago. So um, I'm really, I really don't know, but that's why I've been going to the protest and I've been just kind of throwing that out there so people don't forget, like this isn't just about police brutality. It's about the unequal treatment of African-American communities. Um, let's, let's talk about your line of work. Let's talk about boxing. Uh, it is back. Uh, and what do you think about this new normal with boxing where there's no fans and it's really just the fighters and the ref and just the key personnel at the arena. And that is it. What do you think about the new normal of boxing? I mean, it's whack, but it's safe. <laughs> I mean, it's not nothing I'm not used to. Like I've had some of my toughest fights in the gym, you know, in the gym where nobody was there cheering for me or cheering against me, just kind of me and my sparring partners going at it. So I don't think it's too much different, but for some fighters, it's going to be bad, you know, because they are crowd pleasers, you know, and that was, and that's what makes them fight. And that's what motivates them is the crowd and the bright lights. And those guys are going to have a really hard time because there's not going to be anybody cheering for them, but their corner versus the other corner. You know, and I'm just thinking about, Imagine Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fighting in an empty arena. Mm-hmm. Like most of the fans there, to me, no, nah, it's definitely true. But 95% of the fans there for Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, one and two, were there for Tyson Fury. That's just the truth about it. And can you imagine those two guys fighting with nobody there? Nobody having the advantage of the crowd, nobody being cheered for. It's just all you hear is, leather like the fight would have been yeah <laughs> that, that, hey that's it's a really uh good point what about the type of action we're going to see you know there's some people who said hey fighters are coming back they're more hungry there's other guys who are saying hey look i didn't really get enough time to train because i didn't get a lot of sparring uh what kind of action should fans expect when they, they see everybody, people like you and, and some of the other A-level fighters come back? Oh, they can expect me to go out there and do me. I don't, like, I don't really care who's there. I'm going to go out there and let, my, and let my hands go, hurt my opponent, and as always, try to go for the knockout and work on what I've been working on in the gym. Um, I can't speak for the other fighters because you never know. Like some guys, like me, I don't, I don't spar a lot. It's just like I grew up and we sparred sometimes twice a day and I sparred against men since I was a kid. So now it's like I know how to fight. The only reason I spar is to make sure that I'm in shape. And if I'm in shape the third week of camp out of a seven-week camp and I can go 10 rounds, I'll probably never spar again. (laughs) Only reason I spar is to make sure that I'm in shape. Once I see that, 
I know what to do when I get inside the ring. I know how to fight. I know defense, and I get my time on the pads with my coach. So sparring is not a big uh, thing for me. But some guys spar three, four every day, three, four, five times a week at the gym, and uh, those guys may feel a little affected by it. But some of those guys may actually fight better with the less wear and tear of sparring. So mm-hmm. it's just about um, who it is and how they look at it. Speaking of that, then, when will we see you back in the ring and against whom? Um, so my next fight is definitely against Marie-Yves DeCare, um, IBF world champion from Canada. Um, she's 17-0. and 0. Uh, We're, we're going to be fighting, I believe, mid-September, last week of September. we just waiting for Showtime to give us the date and the location and it's to go. But that fight is definitely my next fight. And then um, after Marie-Yves DeCare... Uh, you know, I would love to fight. I would love to fight the winner out of Hannah Gabriels and Raquel Miller if they if they have enough heart to fight each other because it seems like everybody just want to go at the champ, but nobody wants to actually earn their stripes. Like I fought against Hannah Gabriels, I fought against Christina Hammer, I fought against Tori Nelson. You know, I fought against Franchine Cruz, some heavy hitters to get to where I'm at. So for girls who only, you know, fight against girls who aren't that good or I I, I I really hate calling girls bums or tomato cans, but girls with losing records, I would say. For them to have a six and oh, seven and no record and never fought against nobody that had a winning record is like or like a world champion like I had, it's like, why should you get a free shot at me when I had to fight through hell and fire to win these world titles? So it's like a lot of these girls, especially when I don't like, definitely got to earn a title shot before they get a, get a shot at me just because I had to do it the hard way. So they got to do it the hard way. That's all. So you, you mentioned a young lady who you've already beaten in Hannah, uh, Hannah Gabriels. And you two had, had, had a nice little back and forth on social media. She's been demanding a rematch. Do you see a rematch demanding in the future? Demanding a rematch? What? <laughs> No, she's playing games. Like, my promoter, Dimitri, offered her a um, two-fight deal to where she, we will both fight and then we will fight again next. She went and signed with Lou DiBella. And um, that was her fault. And my and my promoter was offering probably more money than what Lou was. But she wanted to go where she was protected, which I understand. But it's like she just – I think Hannah Gabriel is, is actually a good fighter. But I can't stand a fighter that boasts about losing. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, you came in there and you knocked me down the first round, but you got beat up nine rounds. Like, yeah, you fought back harder than everybody else, but that don't take away the fact that I put a beating on you. That's what it don't, that just doesn't change. But for her, she's got like some kind of moral victory. Oh, well, I went all the rounds and oh, I dropped her and it's like, Oh, and I don't think I lost by unanimous decision. I thought it was closer. It's like either you thought you won or you thought you lost. And she's never said she thought she won a fight. She always say, oh, I thought it was a split decision. Oh, I thought it was maybe a majority, but not a unanimous. It's like, it don't matter. An L is an L. Rather, it's by knockout, TKO, unanimous decision, majority, whatever. A loss. A loss is a loss, man. That's it. But <laughs> I will, look, I told her I would rematch her a long time ago. 
I told her that, but it's like, I'm at 154 and she injured her shoulder. And I seen her do an interview where she was like, you know, I told my team I would love to fight Clarissa as my first fight back after having shoulder surgery or whatever the case may be. And I was like, nah, give her a tune-up fight. Why? I don't want no excuses for when I win again. Like, that's what she wants. She want to be able to come back and fight me and then be able to say, oh, well, I would have done better if my shoulder was right. No, go and fight against somebody else, win, and then let me know how your shoulder feels. And if your shoulder's good enough, we can fight. It don't matter. It's nothing but a cakewalk to me. It's nothing. <laughs> you telling me that. Like, I won't smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm the fire. I'm ready. You know that? Uh, you, you've also talked about um, doing MMA. I mean, you've even, we've seen the video of you training uh, and doing some of that stuff. Is that still a possibility? And do you see yourself getting into the octagon? Yeah, I definitely see myself getting into the octagon, but not for reasons of that I want to fight in the octagon. Like, I want to be known as the best woman fighter ever. And, you know, being the greatest woman of all time in boxing, it's, it's cool, but... I hate people to say that Amanda Nunez fight better than me. It's like, no, you 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 do MMA better than me for sure, cause that's what you do. But if you want to take away her kicking and her elbows, and we wish to just go left and right, I will win. You know, but she, but MMA fighters make it seem like, oh no, she could just come over to boxing and beat you, and it's like. They got to be smoking some kind of dope or something to think that. That's like saying I can go over there to MMA without training and be her. It's like, I got to train. I got to get some kind of experience. I got to get some fights in MMA. You can't just go over there and act like the kicking and the elbowing and the arm bars and stuff don't matter. Like, that stuff matters in MMA. But in boxing, it doesn't. They can say she's the greatest woman of all time in MMA. But when it comes to, oh, she got better hands than any woman fighter that I've ever seen, that's a damn lie. So, so do we do we see uh, a Clarissa Shields, Amanda Nunez fight in MMA, or do we see like a Mayweather McGregor type thing where y'all y'all do it in boxing? And when when do we see this? I mean, I would love to do both. You know, it really depends on um, her. You know, if she wants to come to boxing and fight me, I know I want to do both, and I'm willing to train and get ready for it. And also, too, in MMA, it's just more. Um, it's just more exposure than women's boxing. I like I hate to say it, you know, but those women, I mean, for me looking on social media, for me just seeing how they're the main event on every other card and people are coming in, filling up arenas for them. We don't have that in women's boxing. Like, I haven't even been on pay-per-view yet, and I'm a three-time division world champion, but Javante Tank has been on pay-per-view. Like, it's just like not equal, you know what I mean? It's like over the MMA, I love how it's equal. You know, you have some fights where the men are the main event and then you have the same amount where women are. And um, women are on pay-per-view and in boxing it's just not the same way. Like I've already let my team, I let Showtime know like, look, I will fight on the undercard of Earl Spence, Deontay Wilder, Manny Pacquiao, uh, any of those big fighters, the twin Charlos, like I will fight on the undercard of those guys, but I'm not going to fight on the undercard of nobody who's not a world champion, especially on pay-per-view, you know, but 
I've been trying to figure out ways to get more exposure to boxing and uh, welcome everybody to see that the game of women's boxing has changed. We have some great fighters now. Like, they were good back then. Don't, like, no disrespect to any of them. But now we got women who actually make boxing a career. You know, I've been boxing since I was 11 years old, 25, 14 years. Still look good, but I'm just saying it's 14 years. (laughs) (laughs) You're only 25. I mean, you're still a young woman. (laughs) But you've been in the game a a long time. And you've always been outspoken. Was that intentional? Or has that always been your personality? Or did you say, hey, look, I got to bring attention to women's boxing? Or has that just always been your personality? Well, growing up, people don't know that I started, like, I wasn't able to talk until I was five. So, you know, talking was not my strong point. Even to the age of 11, I stuttered all the time. I really couldn't get words out that well. Um, I was antisocial. And boxing is what made me open up. And, you know, I had to take speech impediment classes because I could not talk. Like, to hear me say full sentences now, I kind of laugh because I'm like, man, I couldn't say nothing. But, um... I think I spent so much time just not speaking and not sticking up for myself that once I found out that I had a voice and that my voice mattered, I always just wanted to make it count. And people bully you too if you don't talk. Like when I was 16, getting ready for the Olympic trials here in the US, some of those girls would talk so much trash to me. And at first I was the one quiet because I was told, you know, I'm not really a talker. I'm a fighter. So when girls were talking trash to me, like they would walk up to me, you know, and say, you know, for instance, Franchine Cruz, we, I was 16. She was about 25 at the time, 24. And we were both in a tunnel getting ready to fight against each other. And she was in the back of me saying, she trashed already. She trashed already. And I was like, whoa, deep. You know, because I'm not a trash talker. And, you know, a girl named uh, Tika Hemingway, walked up to me the day before we fought in the PAL tournament at the qualifiers. She walked to me and said, I'm going to stop you tomorrow. I said, what? She said, I'm going to stop you tomorrow. You like, I'm going to knock you out. And I looked at her. I said, yeah, you don't know me. You know, but (laughs) I really wasn't good at it. You know, like trash talking is not my strong suit. I really just, if anybody come talking stuff to me, I just speak back facts. And when I speak back facts, everybody like, oh, that's trash talk. Nah, these girls can't beat me. She not strong as me, she not fast as me, and she ain't got more skill than me. I can be speaking the real, you know, but people be like, oh, it's trash talk. I think where I really did some trash talk was when I fought against Christina Hammer, I can say like, but before then, I don't think I've been like a big trash talker. I kind of just spit facts, but Trash talking when I told Christina Hammer, oh, you know, you got a little booty, you know, or you got a long <laughs> nose, or I would never want to be built like you, you know, stuff like that. I feel like it's trash talking. But when I go to say, you know, stuff that's strategic, like I told Christina Hammer all her flaws she would have against me. I said, what I tell her? I said, one, you stand too straight up. You don't have no defense. Um, you don't have no head movement. I told her all this stuff at a press conference. And then in the fight, you seen that she was a little stiff up top. She only had a jab. Um, she didn't throw no uppercut, no body shots. 
and I was more I was more polished than her, but I but I told her that and when I saw the um and when I went back and looked at the press conference, I said, Damn, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> you gave her the game plan. But hey, look, that just goes to show how good you are that you told her what you were gonna do and you went out and implemented exactly what you said you were gonna do and it was a dominating uh, performance. But you, you, you talked about how you've always wanted equality. Uh, when you talk about women's boxing, uh, you've talked about increasing the length of rounds, uh, the equality when it comes to pay. What would you like to see changed in the sport? Um, when I always speak of equal fight time, equal promotion, and just um, equal pay. And my equal promotion, I noticed that when I turned pro, when I fought against Hannah Gabriel, we didn't get a poster for that fight to almost five weeks out from the fight, which that's a decent amount of time, right? But when you pay attention and you see that they're talking about another fight that two months or two months and a half out, that's eight to 10 weeks compared to five. But they want us to get as many viewers as the guys who they promoted and made uh, promos and commercials and all that stuff to us to get the same amount of exposure, but with less time of promotion. So I spoke on that and I don't feel like it was done on purpose. I felt like they never really had other women fighters speak on that. So when I start speaking on that, just let them know like, hey, you guys only sent me a poster four weeks before and I'm using my social media. I have 315 thousand organic followers like i can put the word out and i can follow the venue but i need to have stuff more and you know eat just just more time and even with like the wbc you know i had um you know wrote mauricio i seen like a commercial that had all the men wbc champions all with their belts on and like a little commercial and i said am i not a wbc champion like last time i checked i won a wbc at 168 160 and 154. So I'm like, where is our, where's the women's commercial at? Or why can't we be included with the men? And I feel like sometimes in boxing, they kind of just look at it. Oh, women's boxing, men's boxing. When take the gender out, it's just boxing, you know, yeah. right in the middle. We got to do the same stuff to get ready. Um, and it's even harder because some women have to work jobs and get ready for a fight because the pay is so, is a, such a bigger gap than it is for the men, you know? And I feel like that's one thing I respect about MMA. There is no um, excuses about women not being able to fight the same, same amount of time as the men. That's why their sport is prospering over there in MMA. The women is because they, they have to do the exact same thing as men. There's like nobody that can say, oh, you know, the women aren't as good as the men are in MMA because you actually get to see it. Like they're skilled. They're just as in, as in shape. They fight the same time. And in Boston, there's just too many disparities from the pay to women not fighting on pay-per-view or even being included on pay-per-view cards. And, you know, we got some very successful women, women fighters. Like, yeah, I'm the fastest boxer to become a three-time division world champion, but Amanda Serrano is a seven-time division world champion, right under Manny Pacquiao. And it's like, where is the 
where is the respect on that? You know, I seen that um, she's supposed to be fighting against Katie Taylor, who's a two-time division world champ, also in Olympic gold medal since 2012. But they're fighting on the undercard of Dillian White and Pepeki. What? Yeah. Like, no disrespect to the men. And yeah, they're heavyweights, but neither one of them are world champion. And you have seven-time division world champion fighting against two division world champions. Put those divisions together. That's nine different divisions. Yeah. You know, and it's like, but they're fighting on the undercard of two men who aren't even, you know, world champions. And to me, I feel like that's kind of disrespectful. You know, so I try to speak on that and tell the women, like, sometimes I know they're giving us, like, they're they're, kind of like giving us a bone and wanting us to wag our tail sometimes. And it's like, nah, you got to demand, you know, I want to make a million dollars for one boxing match. That's not going to happen at the end of my career. I think it should happen now because $1 million shouldn't be the pinnacle for women's boxing. But they can mm. always say, oh, the men get paid more because they fight more time and more rounds. And it's like, well, give us the same amount of rounds, give us the same amount of time, and pay us, pay us equally. So forget about the weight, the limit. Give me the one fighter that you would love to step into the ring with uh, right now, women or men or both? Uh, for a woman. Um, you know, I fight anybody. I love to get in the ring with all of them. Uh, I would love to beat up Alejandra Jimenez for one. You know, cheating against Franchon Cruz. Um, I love to fight against Layla Ali, and that's just because of. You know, she do all this talking and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like you wasn't all that good, but you was you you was undefeated, but you wasn't that good. But I would love to fight against her. And I think one of my biggest fights, one of the biggest the biggest fights that could ever happen in women's boxing. I'm gonna say two of them. Well, one, if me and Wolf would have been in the same era, I think that me and her are both like. Personally, I think she's harder than me. Just gonna keep it real, you know. But I think that it would have been a hell of a fight because I got a lot of skills and she got a lot of power and we both not gonna back down from each other. And I think it would have been a great war if it was, if I was in her era, of course. And if I was small enough, I would love to just um, fight against Katie Taylor, but that fight never happened unless she come to 154 because she's so small. But yeah, I think yeah. she's a very gifted uh, fighter. I, I love the way she fights. Um, I love, how how humble and quiet she is is kind of adorable sometimes, but I know she definitely has a voice, um, and one day maybe she'll use it. But right now she's kind of like she's very quiet, and you don't know much about her. I know something about her because we talked in person before. But um, you know, if I was small enough, I'd love to fight against her too. But uh, anybody with great skills and great power, I'd love to fight against. That's all. So you mentioned uh, Layla Ali. You guys had a very public back and forth, uh, there was uh, written reports that she demanded $5 million, uh, for to even uh, take that fight. At any point, did you actually believe the fight could happen? Um, at a point, I did. I did. I believe that um, when she came to the Deontay Wilder Fury um, the day before the fight, I believe, or the morning of, and she was on first take, um, and I had seen her on there 
I thought it was a smart move, you know, to bring us up, bring up her and me fighting at that time. But I also felt like it was kind of like selfish because all the attention was on Deontay Wilder and Fury. And I don't like to take attention away from people. Like I like for if the moment is about Deontay Wilder and Fury, keep it about that. You know, I feel like throughout too many times of my life that I'm always the center of attention. So I'm kind of happy when it's somebody else. So I was happy that it was Deontay Wilder and Fury. But once she did that, I went to the Wilder fight and everybody just walking up to me. Oh, you, oh, you Clarissa Shields. Oh, I want a picture with you. Oh, you the quote. And all that attention came to me when I was there trying to enjoy the fight. You know, so I, I had thought maybe she was serious. But uh, when I heard the five million, I thought to myself, when has a woman even been paid a million dollars in boxing? Like, is that even a good number? Is what I thought to myself. And if I have, if the bank would loan me $5 million, I would have her sign a contract and just give her a check, give her a date. And I, and, 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 and I would beat her ass just because she talks so much. And to me, she ain't cut like that. But you know what? If I had the money, I was just hoping that somebody would just like, please, just send a girl, just give her five million. You know, me, we can work it out. You know, give me a million, two million, you know, three, we can work it out, or give me more of the more of the cut from the pay-per-view, whatever. But just give her five million. Because now it's like, I need somebody to write a five million dollar check and be like, here, this is this is for you to fight Clarissa in a year. And I don't want to hear the excuses because it's like I don't really think she won't smoke with me. I mean, she may say, oh, I'm bigger than her, I'm this, I'm that. And it's like, I went from her saying, I'm not a talented fighter and I'm not good, to her saying, oh, I need a year for her to get ready. Oh, you must have went and did your research. Because you to be saying, I'm not talented. That's probably the worst thing that, I'm probably, the, I'm, I'm about, I am the most talented woman fighter when it, when it comes to skill, technique, all that. But, you know, I read that, you know, you kind of got into boxing because your father introduced you to the sport and, you know, it was Leila Ali who you saw. You were like 11 or 10 years old. So was that hard? No, that's not the story. No. I was going to say, was it, I was going to say, was it hard for you to be going back and forth with you know, a person you looked up to as a young lady? The story is my dad, my dad told me that he used to love boxing, right? And he said he thought that the men in our family would take up boxing because he kind of taught all of my younger cousins and his nephews how to box at a young age. So he thought that they would take up after it. But he said nobody did. And he said, but that kind of reminds me of Muhammad Ali. You know, he had all these kids, you know, sons and daughters, but only his daughter took up after him. And I was like, oh. And then he was like, yeah, his daughter a bad girl. And that's how I even knew the name Layla Ali because my dad mentioned her, but it wasn't like I, I never looked her up as far as okay. in, uh, how she fights. I was about 15. I've been boxing four years by then. But um, just, just, just to clear it up, like, I like the way that Layla Ali moved. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, you know, I always looked at her as being like a boss, you know, and it was just weird that I never felt that support from her. Like, maybe at the beginning of my career but once I became a world champion at 168 all that support and all that love kind of went out the window and 
it didn't it didn't hurt my feelings, but it just kind of confused me because I'm not a hater. You know, I'm always trying to embrace and uplift whoever, especially girls who are coming up. And to see how she was just like, you know, went on a breakfast club and said, oh, you know, she gave me some props at the beginning of the interview, like some good props. But then she was like, but there's no woman, you know, good enough to even make me come out of retirement because I would basically like everybody would be too easy for her. You know, everybody would be a cakewalk. Nobody could give her any real competition. And that's where it started. I was like, what the hell is that about? Like, what? Like, you can't compliment me and then kind of like just stab me in the neck at the same time. Like, you know what I mean? And I felt like that's what she did. And I was like, did I want to call out a 40-year-old woman who hasn't boxed in 10, 12 years? Am I right? No, I don't. I want to fight the current girls now and keep building the sport. But I didn't start talking bad about her because she started talking bad about me. And then that's mm-hmm. when I had to, you know, I had to spit the fact of, you know, you only know him because your dad and your biggest fight is against Christy Martin, who was 20 pounds smaller than you. You know, stuff like that. You know, right now, they would never let me get in the ring at 160 pounds and fight against 140 pounders. It never happened. Because the girl would be, I don't want to say the word, but she be be messed up pretty bad. So you're saying that it it, it it the possibility of a of a Clarissa Shields Layla Ali fight is not really going to happen. Um, to me, I don't I don't think so. What I, what I like it to happen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All I need is you know maybe Stephen Espinosa can just call her and you know write her a five million dollar check and say hey this is what you wanted but you know Clarissa gets seventy percent of the pay per view buys and we go from there. I'd be happy. <laughs> You know, but <laughs> I don't think nobody thinks she's serious enough to actually make that call. But I would love for them just to do it. Like, hey, we're, you know, Showtime or whatever network, and we got the five million you wanted. Here you go. Here's the contract for you. Now let's fight. And then it'd be public. Uh, I, I would love for that to happen for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Um, let me ask you this because you are, you, you want to talk about someone, the GOAT. I mean, the only American boxer to win two gold medals. So what advice would you give to male, female, who was looking forward to their Olympic moment this summer? Now, all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, it's gotten uh, called off until next summer. And maybe they say, hey, look, man, maybe I want to go pro or maybe I should just go pro. What advice would you give them? Uh, Should they wait until next summer or, 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 you know what, strike now and go pro? Um, I think they should all wait, and I've and I've spoken about that. I had to talk to almost every Olympian from Team USA when this pandemic happened, and I called each one of them individually and spoke to them and asked, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking? And they'll speak to me, and I just told them, excuse me, I, I just told them, um, you know, the Olympics add more exposure and some extra zeros to the check, you know. And at the end of the day, yeah, you want to be a world champion, but you also want to get paid a lot of money for being a world champion. You know, some world champions have gotten paid 130000 Then you got those that make a million. You know, so the the Olympics adds that stature. You know, for me to be a woman fighter and to make, you know, three hundred k for a fight is a big deal. The most a woman has ever made was six hundred k You know, so to see that, I can get 300K, that's from the Olympics. I don't think it's from me just being so great at boxing because 
I've never heard of Amanda Serrano was seven-time division world champion getting paid 300K. So the fact that I can say that, you know, shows that the Olympics mattered and that I'm respected in that way. You know, so um, I told him to wait and look at this time. There's more time to get ready. You know, if I would have fought the Olympics at the age of 18 instead of 17, oh, man, I would have been more polished. I would have been stronger. I would have been 5'9 and height instead of 5'8 because I grew an inch, you know, in between that time. And I was just more knowledgeable and stronger and faster. So, you know, yeah, I would have won still, but I would have won in better fashion. Like, I beat mm. those girls up for sure. But I did have one close fight, and that was the first fight against Anna Laurel. She was about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, in height. I was 5'8". And uh, she was like a three-time world champion when we fought. So for me to get in the ring with her, it was only my third international tournament. You know, so to be in the Olympics in my third international tournament and just turning 17, it was like, man, this is a, this is a big deal, you know. But I would love to be more prepared. But I was prepared enough to where I was able to come out on top with Olympic gold both times. Talking with the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, uh, Clarissa Shields. We're going to talk to her uh, about the sport of boxing, some of the big uh, stories that are going on around the sport. Also about the Clarissa Shields movie that will be coming out in the future. We're going to get into that as well. But first, I want to talk about our podcast partner, and that is the all-natural B1 patch. And during this pandemic, a lot of people are looking to boost their immune system. Well, you can do it by using the USA all-natural B1 patch. All you got to do, stick it on your, your arm here, peel and stick, and in just a matter of moments, you feel the B1 vitamin, the thiamine. It gives you focus. It gives you energy. And if you're a world champion like Clarissa Shields, you're working out, you're going to need something to get you through those workouts to recover. That's what the all-natural B1 patch will do. It will help you get through those workouts. All you got to do is go to buyb1.com and use the promo code BC3, you get a 20% discount. BuyB1.com, use the promo code BC3, you get a discount. The all-natural B1 patch, it's what the pros wear, you can wear it as well. Uh, here with Clarissa Shields, and Clarissa, let's talk about the sport of boxing and some of the things going on. First, uh, give me your take on uh, a guy who's made a lot of news recently, Jerome Big Baby Miller. Gets uh, busted again for PED use reportedly like the fifth time now uh, that he has been busted. You remember a lot of times he, he got busted three times for PED use. What is your take on punishment and PED use in boxing? Oh, I will say I was pretty upset when I found out that he had three different PDs in the system, getting ready to fight against somebody who's truly one of my favorites, Anthony Joshua. And uh, it, it just kind of like, it ruins the sport, you know? And I just kept thinking like, what if, because we know that Anthony Joshua lost to- uh, Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz, right? So what if that night it would have been Big Baby Miller with the PDs in the system, if it if it wasn't found out beforehand, but let's say after, and it's like it would have been, you know, brutal and heartbreaking. You know, it was already heartbreaking anyway to see Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua for me, but you couldn't congrats to him on that. But it's still more of like um, 
PD just shouldn't be in a sport. And I thought it was kind of lenient that he only got six months, you know, of not being able to fight. I thought it was lenient. You know, but then to see it happens again, it just kind of shows that um he's he doesn't care about clean sports, safe sports. He doesn't care about another person's uh, life. And people die in boxing. You know, rest in peace to my friend Patrick Day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's like, you know, I just wish that, you know, he had a little bit, he talks like he got belief in himself, but um, he doesn't. To be using PEDs and uh, putting, and putting other people's lives in danger and putting his own life in danger. PEDs harm your body more than they harm what harms your body, of course, a lot, a lot, but you can harm somebody else's life more. So it's kind of just. What should be the penalty, you think? What should be the penalty? I think he should just be banned. You know, I'm sad to say that because Big Baby is one of my, uh, you know, we're cool and everything, but it's like, that just isn't right. You know, you've done it twice now. First time, three PEDs. Now this time, one. You still think you can cycle on and cycle off that little bull crap. You know, and it's like, it's just not right. It shouldn't be in a sport. And imagine if Floyd Mayweather got caught with PEDs. It wouldn't be no conversation. They would take everything he's ever won, all his belts, his Olympic medal. You know, they would take it all and throw it in the trash and make it seem like he never existed. So what's the difference between Floyd and Big Baby? Big Baby isn't a world champion. That's it. But it's like nobody should be okay with knowing that he may be a PD user and still putting other people's lives in jeopardy by letting them fight against them. That's just especially, especially being a heavyweight. You you, you hit that. And, and how 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 rampant do you think PED use is in the sport of boxing? Like we always had you started testing. When I was getting ready for Olympics, I had body testing almost every two weeks. They had show up randomly. Oh, man, it used to work my nerve, especially when I said night at somebody's house. You know, it'd be like, oh, they just showing up there. Or they, they always knew where I was at. So, you know, just to see, like, I think it needs to be taken, like, a bit more serious than what it is. You know, I feel like there should be random random drug testing for every um, professional uh, world champion. You know, yeah. for them and their opponents, like it should be drug testing for both. And um, nobody should have to feel like they're putting their life in danger when they're already putting their life in danger doing boxing. It shouldn't be like, yeah. oh, now I'm also putting my life online in boxing, but now I'm against a PED user. Like, that isn't right. And I really pray for Big Baby Man. I really do that he could just have some more belief in himself and just give up the, B- give up the PEDs for his own health. You know, it's not going to look good for him toward the end, you know, I looked up, you know, just when I had first heard about like, you know, what is, what can happen and people can have like, in like, like internal bleeding, they can have freaking um thyroid cancer. It's so many things that can happen when you use PDs. And it's like, look, man, winning is important, but it's not more important than your, than your health. You know, let the PDs go and stop putting other people's life in danger. So, Whatever the penalty is, man, I just hope that he learned from it. But, you know, I just think he just just to stop cheating, man. That's just the truth about it. So I want to get your opinion here real quickly on a number of fights here. And you just tell me what you think is going to happen. Uh, Bracus and McCaskill, I guess, are getting ready to go at it in August. What do you think? 
Um, I think Cecilia got enough skill to win, even though McCaskill is a very strong fighter. I think that Cecilia purposely picks fighters who she's got more skill in because she can figure out ways mm-hmm. to beat them. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, you mentioned it. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I'm going, uh, I'm leaning 60, 60% towards Amanda Serrano way, 40% with Katie. I think it's going to be a really good fight. Everyone in the world wants to see Errol Spence and Bud Crawford fight. What do you think would happen in that fight? Can't speak on that. <laughs> <laughs> we had them both on the podcast, too. So, and they both had, the, obviously, very different opinions on what was going to happen in that fight. What do you think? Yeah, you know, Earl Spence is strong and, you know, gifted and stuff like that. Then Terrence Crawford, and he's strong, like I said, strong. And then Terrence Crawford, to me, is just so disciplined and skilled, and he got power too. And uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm cool with both guys, you know, so I just got to keep it neutral. Like like when they fight, I'll just clap when they both get announced. <laughs> I'll just there and watch and all because um, that's a that's – a, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Tommy Hearns kind of fight, if you if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, three. Um, I'm always gonna roll with the home with the home team. I'm I'm, I'm gonna roll with Wilder. Um, by knockout, ah, it was like man, Tyson Fury did so many good things in the last fight, and I'm a Tyson Fury fan, you know. But I just can't cheer against Deontay. Like he never cheers against me, you know. Even though one time he was like. Oh, wish the best luck to both women. Some crap like that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm gonna keep it a book. Like I mess with Deontay Wilder. Tyson Fury is a great person and character and everything. Um, let the best man win. But I'm I'm pulling for Deontay Wilder to come out on top. Had Errol Spence on the podcast. Errol Spence said, "Listen, I just think we as Americans need to support our own fighters." When I he went over and fought Kell Brook, he said, "I had all of England against me." And uh, he said, so I just think I don't like, he said, that when Tyson Fury's here, the whole arena seems to be majority guys were with Tyson Fury. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're in America. We should be going for Deontay Wilder. What are your thoughts on that? Um, That's kind of, you know, people don't speak on race as far as in boxing, but it does exist, you know, as far as in, you know, the support and, you know, for Floyd to get the support that he got, you know, he had to be the bad guy, had to be the villain. You know, he couldn't just be Money Mayweather, just the laid back, you know, uh, wait, a pretty boy. He couldn't be pretty boy. You know, they he had to build this character and be this character that everybody wanted. And just to have people come see the support or go against him. And he just did his work and beat everybody. But I definitely get what Earl Spence is saying, though, you know, because the, the UK will come out for their fighters. And I feel like if the American fans would get behind the American fighters, like it would be, it would make some, some fighters probably perform better or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, Brian, to be real, I don't, I don't give a, I don't, 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 don't curse. <laughs> I don't care who come show up to the fight to cheer for me or cheer against me. I'm going to win. And I get what I get what EJ was saying and everything. But same time, I don't care. Like I'm like, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, but Americans should support Americans or support whoever 
whoever he wants to support. You know what I mean? Like I'm a I like Deontay Water enough to where I'll fly out to the fight, get my own ticket, pay for my hotel room and Ubers and all that stuff and stay the whole week during during fighting because I love boxing that much and I'm a fan of his. And you know, I think that um just need to make it to where black fighters seem more approachable in the in the nicest where people want to actually come and support mm-hmm. them, I guess. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Last last fight, uh, Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz. Ah, uh, Tank. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ice Leo Ke- Santa Cruz is kind of just—he's a good fighter. He comes straight forward, and I feel like the skill wise, not only is Javante, you know, Tank Davis stronger, but I feel like skill wise, he's more—he's uh, more skilled. So I think he'll do. It, it'd be a tough fight for him though. A guy constantly coming forward, being able to eat punches, but I don't think he'd be able to eat much because. You know, Javante has a lot of power, so, yeah. Uh, you know, we had Ice Cube on the podcast. He talked about how they had started shooting the Clarissa Shield story, and then the pandemic hit, he said, and then when they shut things down, he said they were on set for maybe like a week or so. He said he's playing your first trainer, Jason Crutchfield, so he was excited because he says he's his first time being a role, playing a real person. Tell us about the movie. When should we see it in theaters? Yeah, um, I don't know when you're going to see it in theaters because of the, you know, the coronavirus or whatever. I don't know when they can start back filming again. But I can say that as a kid, and I thought about, like, my whole life story. First, I got T-Rex, right? But T-Rex is only a snippet. But I always said, like, if I had somebody else play me in a movie, I would pick Nafisa Wood, even though she's not playing me, it's right in Destiny. But I always said Ice Cube would be the only guy that could play my coach. I always said that. To me, they look alike, and just he got that demeanor. He got that demeanor of like, you know, just that grit, and you can see he's been through some things, and just being a tough, solid dude, you know. So I always was like, man, if anybody was to play my first coach, Jason Crutchfield, I wanted to be Ice Cube, you know. And this is me as a young kid, and I wish I could find a news article because I know I said it. And uh, now it came to fruition. I just was like, man, like my coach, like my first coach definitely like deserved that. Like he really was the reason why I won my first Olympic gold medal. And the skills he taught me, you know, prevailed to where I could win a second one. Even though I learned from some stuff from other coaches, it was like just my foundation has always been solid. And uh, he taught me everything he knew from the age of 11 to about 18, 19, 20. You know, he taught me everything he knew. And that's why I have you know, such great skills and power and fundamentals is because he taught me. So I'm just super grateful that he's finally getting his just due. Are you going to be on set to watch it, to be, you know, to look at it and make sure that the, the story's developing right and all that type of stuff when they're, when they're shooting? I'm going to have a cameo. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm geeked about that. Like, I tried to get to the Let Me Play uh, Coach Pete, the woman that was in my corner during the first Olympics. I wanted them to let me just play like as my own coach to play Coach Pete, but they were like, "Oh no, we don't know." I'm like, "Look, you give me the role, I act just how Coach Pete used to act." <laughs> and so we don't know when the movie's coming out. We next year, the year after, they haven't given you any indication. I think it's next year because the script is already oh, okay. written out and everything. And uh, I've been able to read the script and go back and forth with them about, oh, no, this is not it. That's not it. Oh, this is great. Oh, that's great. And um, it's just crazy just to see that um, Ryan Destiny is playing me. And she's so she's such a smaller woman. 
but they're going to pack some muscles on her and, you know, make her try to talk like me and look like me and stuff. And we, you know, yeah, 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 I guess we're kind of favorable for dark skinned pretty girls. But, um, yeah, you know, I think it's just great. That's great. That is, that is really, really, uh, really cool. Let's get to some viewer questions. Uh, we always get a number of people who listen and watch the podcast. They want to ask questions. So, uh, first question, this one comes from Twitter. They say, who is your pick to win between Raquel Miller and Hannah Gabriels? Um, the thing is, Miller is a good fighter. She's all right. You know, I feel like she's kind of babied herself throughout her pro career because she can fight against tougher fighters and actually come out on top. But um, I think I think it'll be a good fight. I don't really know who's going to win that one. But whoever wins, I'll let her fight the winner. Okay. okay. Uh, this one comes from Twitter as well. And you kind of answered it. It says, do you think women's boxing will have nothing left for you and that you will have to uh, move to MMA? No, it's always other opponents. There's always girls working their way up and, you know, who's coming up and who've been watching me for a long time and want to be in my spot. So there'll always be competition. I mean, I can think of girls I could fight right now. I could fight against Alejandra Jimenez when she get off the PEDs. I can have a rematch against Franchine Cruz because we're both <laughs> um, we're both champions. You know, we both unified champions. Um, I can have a rematch against Henry Gary, but I can fight against Mikhail Miller. Um, I could fight against Callie Reese at 154. Um, am I missing anybody? I could fight against the Ellen, Ellen Sederos, who's the champion at 168. Alicia Napoleon. I like, I can have fight some girls, some good girls uh, for me to fight. Just about, um, if they have enough heart to get in the ring with me and fight me. Like, I know friends, like, yeah, this yeah. excluded from franchise. You know, she'll fight me tomorrow if it was, if it was offered. Like, that's, you know, she's cool on my end. But, um, I'm going to MMA just to show that, you know, women boxers are just as great as MMA fighters and that we train and we got skills and we need to be respected just as they are, you know, as being women, uh, women fighters, you know, that's the only reason I'm doing it. But other than that, I would just stick to boxing if I could get more exposure and, you know, make some real money, you know, I want to make a million dollars for a fight or, yeah, yeah. you know, in MMA, women get movie roles. They get commercials. They got huge sponsors. And in women's boxing, you just you just don't you know who's a Serena Williams of you know a women's boxing. I really can't think of think of anybody. Um, last question uh, is Marie Decker uh, more skilled than Hammer? No, I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. I think okay. she's a skilled fighter. You know. I'm fighting her because she has a belt at 154 and I want to be undisputed in two different weight classes. And uh, no boxer has ever done that before. So I'll be the first boxer to be undisputed two different weight classes in the four belt era. The last boxer to even be close to that was Evander Holyfield in the three belt era where he was a cruiserweight uh, undisputed and heavyweight undisputed. You know, but only three belts. In the four belt era, there hasn't been a fighter to be undisputed in both uh, two different weight classes. So that's why I'm fighting against her. But she is, um, she's a good fighter. You know, she got some sneaky little tricks. She's Southpaw. Um, nobody's ever seen me fight against Southpaw. I've I've seen myself spar against but I've never seen myself fight one. So, you know, I'm thinking, mm, it's going to be a good fight. All right, Clarissa, let's wrap up this thing. And in the, it's called The Last Stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. First thing that comes to mind when I say 
Layla Ali. Fake. Um, I think that she's a very just fake person. <laughs> That's what I think about. <laughs> uh, you mentioned it, but who would win if Ann Wolf and Clarissa Shields got in the ring? Oh, Lord. Uh, I feel like I get it, but it'd be like a close-ass split decision or something. <laughs> I got a lot of respect for her, you know what I mean? Like, she got the biggest knockout of women's boxing. The girl could punch. Uh, she's a Christian just like I am, and... I just uh really see myself as a smaller and younger and wolf sometimes. So I think it'd be a really good fight, but I think that my that my skill would would prevail toward the end. Like I'm not gonna go fire for fire with her in the first three, four rounds. But after that, when I could tire her down a little bit, then I kinda just, you know, do my thing. But I have to be careful the first three, four rounds. Male or female, who is pound for pound the best fighter in the world right now? Besides myself, okay. Um, it got to be Terrence Crawford. Okay. To me. Uh, Terrence Crawford, Lomachenko, and Canelo got some really good skills, man. He got some good skills, and I like him. So I got those okay. three guys, but I don't know. Okay. I think I'll say... Yeah, I think Canelo gets hit less than everybody else. How? Let me ask you this: How long do you see Clarissa Shields fighting? Um, you know, if I can keep beating this girl up on fifty, that's probably what I'm gonna do. <laughs> 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 no, really, just um, how old am I? Twenty five. I see about like 34, 35. Okay. I'll be done with the sport of boxing, and you know, um. I was thinking like maybe I have some kids in between that span, but who knows? I made this way time done my boxing career to have kids and everything. But um, 34, 35, if I made enough money by the time I'm 33, then maybe that age too. But I think I need to get boxing completely out my system. And if I retire early, then then you'll see me back in the ring when I'm 50 because I'll be like, oh, yeah. These young girls think they can, you know what I mean? I kind of be doing yeah, like yes. Le- doing what Layla Ali is doing. You know, she retired early. <laughs> so, last question: Since you call yourself the quote the greatest woman of all time, who was the quote before you came on the scene? The quote before I came on the scene to me was Lucia Riker or Ann Wolf. One of the mm. two. And I say Lucia Riker's skills were superb. And I think that even though Ann Wolf lost, people forget to say that she lost and avenged her loss and she won. So um, with that, as far as in skill-wise and everything, I feel like it's one of those two. There you have it. Clarissa Shields, the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, unified super welterweight champion of the world. Clarissa, we certainly appreciate your time. That's what we do here on The Last Stand Podcast. We bring you the biggest names in sports and entertainment, and it certainly doesn't get any bigger when it comes to female boxing than Clarissa Shields. Clarissa, we appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me, Brian. Absolutely. And folks, we'll see you next week on The Last Stand Podcast.